Let us pray the prayer of illumination. Loving Lord, how we thank you for the scripture which you cause to be written for our learning. It is food and nourishment for our soul, a light to guide and protect our path, and life and health to all who love your name. We pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts and our mind to all that is written in your word of grace. Guide us into all truth, and may our ears be ever open to hear your still, small voice. May our eyes be ever watchful for the lessons that you would have us learn, and may our hearts be ever receptive to all that you would teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first scripture reading this morning is from Luke, the Gospel, chapter 12, verses 49 to 56. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 950. Luke 12, 49 through 56. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism which, in, with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, Two against three, they will be divided. Father against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The word of the Lord. Our second reading today is from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29, through chapter 12, verse 2, and you can find that on page 1097 in your pew Bible if you would like to follow along. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, 
obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection, others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. And may God bless the reading and hearing of the Holy Word. So true confessions time. In the summer, when there's not much on to watch, I really enjoy watching America's Got Talent. I like all of the different kinds of talent acts. I like the different creative ways that people bring their skills and showcase them in increasingly uh, impressive displays. I don't get too excited about the singing acts because singing shows are a dime a dozen, but so many of the other things on America's Got Talent are really different kinds of acts. Now, the other acts that I don't usually love are tip, what they typically refer to as the danger acts. But this season, I have been fascinated by a group called Beer Khalsa, which is a Sikh martial arts group from India. And it's a three-person act, and one of the people in this act is seven feet six inches tall. He makes Terry Crews, the host of the show, look like a short guy. And this guy, this seven and a half foot tall man, lays down on the ground in the midst of a bunch of watermelons and coconuts and cantaloupes. And one of his fellow martial artists is blindfolded and walks around this guy smashing all of that fruit with a huge, heavy sledgehammer. And this last week, because of course every week they have to escalate it just a little bit more, the last watermelon right above this tall guy's head, the man with the blindfold on stood straddling his body, took a spear and stabbed it down, fortunately hitting the watermelon that was just a few inches above this man's head. Now that is some kind of crazy level of trust. You might even call it faith. Not in God, but rather a complete trust or confidence 
and the one who's holding that spear. These men have an amazing level of trust in each other. And being devout in their own Sikh faith, they tie their trust in one another, if you listen to interviews with them, to their own belief in the divine. We as Christians are called to show God that kind of faith, that complete trust in Jesus Christ. Not that we expect that Jesus is going to be standing over us with a spear, but still. The author of Hebrews takes great pains to describe to believers what their faith, that complete trust in God, looks like. And it isn't necessarily comfortable the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of early Christians who are having a hard time because they're being persecuted for, your, for their faith. And he says, yo, you ain't seen nothing. Hebrews describes how much harder it was for many of the saints who persevered. The earlier reading in Hebrews that we didn't look at today pointed out to us the promise made to Sarah and Abraham of many descendants, but in order for that promise to be fulfilled, they had to give up their home and their land, their safety, their security, to go someplace they didn't know on trust. Today's reading reminds us that following Abraham and Sarah, others in the faith were tortured. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned and sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And in the end, while all of these faithful people did what was asked of them, Abraham and Sarah did not live to see the descendants that numbered as many as the stars, the martyrs of the faith did not live to see how their faith would expand to the world. And even our New Testament faithful, many martyrs across the centuries, including most of the disciples, who died to make sure that the good news would not be hidden through their faith, and trust God's message spread throughout the world. The work is not done, but they didn't even see how far it had gotten. Now, there are still places in the world where Christians are persecuted for what they believe and preach. We're not really in one of those places. The loss of ability to do things like say, oh, they should pray the Lord's Prayer in public schools may be a loss of privilege but it is not persecution. None of us are in danger of being thrown in jail or sawn in two or thrown to the lions for showing up here to church this morning. Regardless, the practice of true faith is not and should not be dependent on whether the government or the culture around us joins with us in our outward demonstrations of our faith. Indeed, in our gospel reading for today, Jesus makes it pretty clear that if we take seriously what it means to trust and follow God, our actions may indeed divide us from others in our lives. Those lines from Luke about division have been cited to justify centuries of religious strife, intolerance, and holy war 
But Christ is not preaching inviting a holy war. He's predicting the impact of his me- that his message of love will have on our self-centered human nature. There's no hidden agenda here. Jesus has come to turn the value system of the world on its end. He knows the process will not always be pretty. We humans will not be effortlessly transformed into the body of Christ. Change is not easy and often takes us places that we are not comfortable to go. Jesus often points to how the kingdom of God is to upend our lives and and the way the world typically operates. In our modern culture, people's desire to make a life for themselves is itself at odds with the gospel. The busyness of our lives as we get more and more consumed by work, the drive to make money, the desperate need to place personal comfort, safety, and security above all else, edge out everything from family time to time spent developing one's faith to acting out that faith in caring for those whom Jesus cared for for the most, the lost, the oppressed, the poor, the suffering. And we want culture to change, to adapt to us, rather than recognizing that a storm is coming and the world is changing and we may need to change or adapt what we are doing in order to find new ways to deliver the message of God's unchanging presence in this rapidly changing world. We have our building and our Sunday morning rituals And to figure out how to take God's word out from here into the world feels like a lot of trouble. So instead, we measure how we have done at spreading the good news, at loving our neighbor, at seeking justice and hearing the cries of the needy by how many people attend church on a given Sunday or who are members of our programs and committees. We remain inside our walls lamenting and criticizing the rest of the world's choices rather than upending how we do things in order to find a new way for a new age. Scott Hosey says it well when he reminds us that it's not just the world out there that refuses to surrender. We too have a hard time giving up this or that typical aspect of the typical North American lifestyle. We too have a hard time saying no to our kids or no to the boss so that we can say yes to God. We too would rather find ways to blend our Christian faith in with a typical suburban existence because we fear being seen as some religious weirdos more invested in resurrection life than in the latest trends which define the good life of our neighbors and coworkers. We make promises as a church to every child baptized here to guide and nurture them by word and deed, and even those baptized away from this place, to give them love and prayer, to encourage them to know and teach them to follow Christ. But yet a church this size still struggles to find enough leaders and teachers to fulfill those promises. For it is our job The job not only of those biological parents of the children, but also ours as their community of faith to help them know that God is with them 
at school and away from school and in the football field and in the art classes and to teach them to pray to God and to trust their lives to God and demonstrate what that means to them. And these are the simplest sacrifices we can make in the name of trusting our faith. For living out the faith and risking departing from the world tells us is normal or typical or acceptable can cause us some anxiety. Even though we do not fear being arrested or martyred or eaten by lions because of our beliefs, it can still be scary to take a stand for the faith that we have. Yet we are still called by God to make a choice, and it may be one that separates us from what the world or even folks closest to us want. If we choose justice, we choose to give the poor or the oppressed or the ones in need of refuge priority, when we engage systems of racism, misogyny, homophobia, when we speak out against the greed and warlike nature of our world, we risk angering those around us who find that threatening to their safe and comfortable lifestyle to speak up and choose another way than what the culture and the world call us to, maybe to risk job and security and even dearest relationships. Yet this is less scary when we regularly connect with and practice and demonstrate what it looks like to be a people who take seriously Christ's call on our lives to demonstrate what loving God and loving neighbor really looks like. For this love is a love that moves us past all the things which hold us to the troubles of the world. A love that turns the evils of the world on their head, but sometimes requires causing division in order to heal the hurts of the world and to bring justice to those who most need it. That danger act, Beer Kalsa. On the show last week, the host, Terry Crews, asked them if they're ever nervous when they come out on stage. And surprisingly, they all said, no, no, we're not nervous. I'd be nervous. But they're not nervous. And the reason that they give is that because they focus on what they're doing, they know what their goal is, and they practice over and over again together. They practice that trust for one another. They learn through their practice, to have faith in each other and the work that they are doing. They persevere together, even when it's scary, even when they might otherwise be afraid. Sometimes what we fear in the idea of the division that Jesus refers to is the idea that somehow, if we are really faithful, we will also be alone. But the writer of Hebrews makes it very clear that in following God's call on our lives, when we truly trust God, we will never be alone. For God is with us, and for we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And we are called to live in and be a community of faith for one another. Following Jesus, it turns out, is a team sport, not an individual one. 
We aren't a church so that we can figure out how to make others think and act the way we think they should, but so that in community we can support one another in the practice of learning what it is to think and act as faithful, trusting followers of Jesus Christ. So Hebrews tells us to do three things. First, we're to throw off those things that hinder, even those things that might cause division by getting rid of them. We are to run the race with perseverance, keep moving forward, even when people are trying to drag us back to the old ways of life. We are to keep finding new life and new ways. And we are to trust the cloud of witnesses, that community of support that we are surrounded by and with whom we practice our faith and our trust. And we are to provide that community for others. But most importantly, Hebrews tells us, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the author says. Get our focus right. Know what our goal is. Remember that this Christ trusted God so much that he lived and suffered and died so that we might all know the depth and love of God. And this Christ calls us to trust fully and deeply in the same way. May we do so with all of our lives. Amen.